Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. Did anybody high five Mel? Did, did anybody? Tim did. All right. How was how was her high five, Tim? Was it? Yeah. She most of the time, like when I try to high five her, she's like, uh. She fist bumps me. She's not really a good high fiver. Well, or maybe it's just me. Maybe maybe she doesn't want to high five me. Oh man, we are in our last week of our miracle series. Uh, last week, can you make some noise for Bridget who brought the word last week? I feel like she paid people. Hey, that was a lot. I'm, a, I'm just telling you, I'm going to feel some kind of way at the end of the service today. Like, well, I guess I'll just go home from now on. <clears throat> uh, she did an incredible job. We've had an incredible series all focusing on miracles and what God can do, um, not just what we read about he's done, but what he still can do now in our lives. And um, it's been a great time. Um, I'm I'm sad as we wrap it up today, but uh, I believe that God has more in store for us. And uh, I, I want to share with you some things about myself today. Some, I think I probably have said this before, but, you know, it's always fun to admit things again, just in case. Because there's probably not many guys in this room that would admit to you what I'm going to admit this morning. And, and that is, like, I really love love. Like, I like a good romance story, a love story, like if there's a good movie out. Now, here's, here's the thing. Like, um, I, they have to end up together. Like, if there's a couple and, and we're watching a TV show or a movie, like, if they do not end up together, I will leave. I will turn it off. If it's a series and they end, like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to watch it anymore. Like, I'm invested in their happiness. Like, that's just kind of how it is. Like, man, I... I I love love, like I love watching it and celebrating it. And not only do I enjoy that, but I really love weddings. Like if there's one thing that is like, man, this symbol of love, it is weddings. And I don't know when this started. Mel might be able to tell you, but I probably cry at every wedding now. It, it doesn't matter whether I'm officiating the wedding or whether I'm sitting in the wedding. Like there will be a point in the wedding that I tear up. And if I'm sitting in it, a lot of the times it's, you know, as people are walking down the aisle, they're talking about their love for each other. Like, man, when I'm sitting there holding my wife's hand and I look over at her, I start thinking about how much I love her. I start thinking about our wedding day. And then it makes me think about how much God loves me and has gifted me this incredible woman that I don't deserve. I'm getting teary-eyed now. We're going to stop talking about this. But it happens, and, <clears throat> and I really know that God has given me far more than I ever deserved. I love weddings. I, as I look around, um, I, I'm spotting people that I've got the honor of being a part of their weddings, of, of getting to officiate the whole thing or, or part of it. Like Kevin and Jasmine, I get to do their wedding, and Robin and Dwayne, I get to do theirs, and there's Hannah and Kenny over there. Else is sitting nearby on that side. Todd and Nina. No, not yet. Uh, got Todd and Nina. And then Pastor Alex and Karina. I got to do their way. Like, it was so great. 
being a part of their special days, I still remember the very first wedding that I got to officiate. They, they asked me to, uh, and some people that, that I knew, their names were Drew and Monique, and they, they gave me this really cool invitation that was a, a tie that had their wedding colors. And they're like, hey, what are you doing on June 6th? And I was like, well, I guess I'm doing the wedding. Like, we're, I'm in this. And, and when I say this, you know, sometimes preachers tell these stories and they kind of exaggerate the story to make it be a really big emphasis or anything like that. I, I don't do that. And when I tell you this, like, their story and, and getting to be a part of their wedding is nothing short of a miracle. And, and you heard the yeah from over there because that's their good friends. Like, they know their story. Um, and I, I'll give you a, a bit of it. Like, Drew and Monique had a son early on. They were young. And, and after they had their son, they broke up. And it wasn't, you know, there was a point, and I don't know all of that story, but there was a point when I met Monique, like, it was the kind of breakup, like, I'm good, we're done. And, and Monique had given her life to Jesus, and she's volunteering at the church, and, and she's involved, and, and, you know, they're just co-parenting. You know, I hear of Drew, I don't really know him, and then he starts coming to the church. Jesus had, had, had changed his heart, changed his life, and you would have thought, like, in that moment, when he gives his life to Jesus, like, he's got a shot. Uh-uh. Nope. It was years. Because Monique wasn't just like, okay, you and Jesus are cool, but like, are you? Like, what really has changed? And, and I watched as, as they began to co-parent even better together with, with God involved now in both of their lives. And, and then Drew begins to help out. And, and then this, like, cool thing begins to happen. They start talking again and dating again. And then when they asked me to do their wedding, man, I was so overwhelmed and overjoyed at that because we talked about they didn't think that this day would ever come. That this was a miracle, that they thought they were long past this ever happening, that their family was just going to be whatever it was. That all, the best they could do was love God and love their son individually and co-parent. And I remember their wedding day. They had this outdoor wedding. It was perfect. The weather was great. It, was, it, it all was just like God just sprinkled this extra bit of like, I got you. This is so great. Look at this. As, as God just kind of poured out his love on this restored family that day. And that day they learned something very important. They learned that sometimes we feel like God has one thing in store. But then we discover that God has more. And this morning as we wrap up our miracle series, I, I want to encourage you this morning that there is more. Don't settle. I know some of you are contemplating like settling in your life, settling in relationships, settling in careers. Don't settle. There is more. I know some of you are thinking about giving up and, and, and letting hope go for things to change. Don't give up. There is more. Now is not the end of the road. There is a bend in the road. And maybe, just maybe, the more that God has in store for you is right around the corner. So the title of my message today is what I hope lands deeply in your heart, that there is more. Let's pray once again. God, I, I, I ask that you would speak specifically to us as we look into your word. That who you are, as we read about you in scripture, comes to life. 
that we see how you are with us, that we want more of you, that what we read is, isn't enough anymore. We want it to be our life that you are interacting in and performing miracles. So God, open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we started this miracle series, I started with the very last miracle that was recorded in the book of John. And so it's maybe not fitting, but I like to think it's kind of fitting. Like, let's start with the very first miracle recorded in the gospel of John. And it's, it's really cool because this miracle takes place at one of my favorite places. It's a wedding. That's right. So let's turn to John chapter 2. And as we look there today, um, there are three things that I hope that we will discover or remember about God and what he can and wants to do. Starting with verse 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And we'll stop here for a moment because we can see by the section title, we're, we're already talking about this miracle that's going to happen. I mean, think about this. Like, if you were going to start a ministry, if you were going to announce yourself to the world that you are the Messiah, that things are about to change, like most of us, if that was us doing that, we would be very strategically thinking about where that place would be. We'd be looking for a place where the most people are going to be, maybe where the most influential people are going to be. We might try and, and, and wiggle our way into the palace so that the nobles and, and the, the kings that are already there, that people can take notice of who we are. Or maybe because it, it revolves around teaching, maybe we would try to find the synagogue. And we would try to find the best disciples and, and the best people to hear our ideas and the new things that we are going to teach. I mean, Jesus could have started anywhere. But he chose a wedding. And maybe it's just me because I have a soft spot for weddings. But as we look at what a wedding is, this celebration of something new beginning, maybe, just maybe, Jesus started right there as a way to point that something new was about to begin. For whatever reason he chose to start there, we know this, that he was there because of his invitation. There are many times in our lives when we start thinking about who we want to show up when. If you're getting wed uh, wedding, if you're getting wedding soon, if you're getting married soon, you will think about the guest list and, and you will put out invitations or when birthdays come up or, or dinners. Um, we have a welcome lunch coming up next week. And so we have a list of people that we are going to make sure and invite so that hopefully they will come to the welcome lunch. I mean, there are all kinds of, of these different things. You put together a good game night. Like you got to have people who want to play games and are good at playing games. And you got to have at least one or two people that are overly competitive that will talk smack the entire time so that everybody wants to play. See, we think about inviting people to the big things, and then at other times in our lives, we do still invite them to the small things, the intimate moments that not everyone needs to be a part of, but we really need our people to be there and be a part of. When I think about this, like, I think truthfully, all of us want to be invited. We want someone to think about their world and the people involved, and they think, I need them to be there. I need to, I need to reach out to them and invite them. And we, we want that. We, we want to get that text, that email, that phone call, whatever it is. It lets us know that our presence is needed. Now, sometimes the invite is for the gift that we're going to bring. 
But most times, the invite is because of the gift that we are to those that are inviting. They want us to be present. They want us to share in this moment. And we we learn something very special about Jesus here. That Jesus shows up where he's invited. Jesus goes where he's invited. It's a very simple statement. It's a small sentence, but it is very significant. Did you notice that we don't know who invited Jesus? That they didn't let us know that it was some special person that invited. And I think that that's on purpose to show us that the invitation, who the invitation came from, didn't matter. That if we invite Jesus, he shows up. He doesn't just respond to the invitations from the well-respected, from those with good reputation, from those who do the best things, or for those that are good in everyone else's eyes. He's not responding to it based on who's giving the invitation. He responds based on himself, his goodness, his reputation, his love for the person that is doing the inviting. You see, his acceptance of the invitation has no requirements, which when you look at Jesus' life, That's one of the things that frustrated the religious people. They were upset because he was spending time talking to, going to people's houses, sharing meals with people that no good person would actually catch themselves doing. But Jesus didn't just accept those invitations. He accepted invitations from the good people, from the religious people, the Pharisees that invited him. He would show up, and when he sat down with them, ultimately he discovered that the good people actually ended up being his enemies. But he still showed up. He sat down with everyone. And what he shows us and what he's teaching us here is if we invite, he will respond. It doesn't matter this morning how good you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter if you feel like you deserve Jesus to show up. The truth of the matter is that if you will invite him into your life, into your world, he will show up. And he doesn't just want to show up in the big moments wants to be present for all of it when you think about the time that the disciples asked jesus to teach them how to pray he got to this one part in the prayer and he said he said this is how you pray um give us this day our daily bread now if we were crafting that prayer most of us would be like scratch out the word daily at least put weekly. I would like some weekly bread, monthly bread. You know, I'm feeling pretty good. Let's just make it yearly bread. Like, I don't even want to think about it anymore. Like, I just know when I walk out of my bedroom, like, hey, there's the yearly bread. I'm good. Like, I don't have to think about it anymore. But that's not what Jesus asked us to pray. He said, pray about the source of your sustenance every day. Come and look to me for that every single day day. He wants to be our source. He wants to be invited in each and every day. He wants to be trusted to supply what we need each and every day. We can't just treat him like fix it Felix. That something's broke. Come in. Let me push the buttons. I'll fix it. And he comes in and whatever's broken or wounded, like he takes care of it. And then we're like, cool, I'll put my quarter in the next time I need you. See, we chuckle at that. Like, but we do Jesus that way. Even though we have friends that are no longer friends because they only called us when they needed something. In the first couple times, it was cool, you know. We, we all enjoy at times feeling like, hey, they could have called anyone. 
He called me. I got this. I'm going to save them. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to swoop in. And then, then we don't hear from them. And then the next time, man, they're in a crisis. And we come in and we swoop in again. And then we don't hear from them for months. And then when they reach out to us, it's not, how's it going? Let's catch up. It's, hey, I, I don't know what happened, but let's not do Jesus that way. That's not what he's asking for. We, we need to be inviting him into each and every day, each moment, acknowledging him in the highs and not just begging him to get out of the lows. The invitation reminds us that we don't just need Jesus for miracles, we need him before the miracles. And you need him more than the miracle. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve it? Sorry, that's how I read that. Why? <laughs> We're going to talk about it in a second. That's just, I'm just letting you see into me. Why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, let, let me just say this real quick just to eliminate all this. Don't ask me about this wine. Don't, uh, PK, uh, Jesus and wine and da-da-da. When you bring that to me, I'm going to say, well, do all the other things that Jesus did. Don't just follow his example when it comes to, well, he said I could drink because he made wine. Ah! What else are you doing with your life? Like, let's not focus on one area. Let's look at all of it. So just know if you bring that to me, that's what the response is going to be. And I also don't know if it was grape juice or, or fermented wine or all that. Like, man, I don't, I don't know. But let's not get bogged down in that. Let's look at the great things that happen in this story. But we can talk about um, how the wine was made back in Jesus' day. I, do, I did find that interesting. We can't talk about that, but not the rest of it. They were running out of wine. And this would have been catastrophic in Jesus' day. See, some of us have been to weddings, and, and when we get to the reception, like the, the part about the couple's cool, but we're like, where's the free food at? Like that's what we want. And we show up and like, man, they got finger foods. That's not going to last. I'm planning on shutting this place down later on tonight. It wasn't shutting the, the, the reception down later on that night. In Jesus' day, the reception would have lasted, the wedding would have lasted up to seven days. And every day, new guests would come. They would have invited the whole town. Tons of people would have been there. So the groom's family was expected to provide food and drink for as long as the wedding would actually last. So this would have been a huge embarrassment. Shame would have been brought on their family because the wine is running out. This was a huge crisis. We don't know how soon. We don't know if it was day one or day five. We don't know any of that. But we know when it happened, it was a big deal. And so Mary comes to Jesus. And I love Jesus' response. And I read it wrong the first time, right? Because it's not really how it sounds. Because I read it like I might have responded to my mom. Hey, they don't have any more wine. Woman, that would have been where the mo most of our stories would have ended right there. You, look, some of us got moms that weren't afraid to crack you upside your head. I guess I'll just get a new son. I'm good. Like Mary could have looked and been like, I got other boys. I'm good. Like, but that's not exactly how Jesus' response was. When he called her woman, he wasn't flexing like, I'm 30 years old. Don't come at me with that. Like, he didn't, it wasn't that. It was actually a term of respect and endearment. It, it still was loving. And if you're still like, ah, I don't think so. Fast forward to the cross. 
when Jesus was hanging from the cross, some of his last words, his last breath, was as he looked at his mother, he said, woman, there's your son. Son, here is your mother. He used the same term, the same loving term at the beginning as he did at the end. So it's not nearly as, as rough as it is in my mind. Every time I read it, I know this, and I still read it with this kind of slant to it. And his response was just simply saying, like, what does it have to do with us? When you dig down to the original language, it says, what does this have to do between you and me? So they're out of line. That's not our problem. I don't know why you're asking me to fix this. Now, there, there's a lot of debate of, of why they thought this was their problem. Jesus didn't really seem like it was, but Mary, for whatever reason, thought that it was. It doesn't say whether they were close friends or relatives, but Mary was involved. And she's asking Jesus to get involved. And a lot of theologians will, will debate back and forth between what was Mary really asking Jesus to do? Was she asking him, expecting him to do a miracle? Maybe. Was she asking him so that he could just provide? Maybe. Depends on what day you ask me. Because some days I'm like, there's, there's no way she was asking for a miracle. Because when we look at the story of Jesus, it's recorded as his first miracle. It wasn't like, you know, little Jesus was running around the house and she's like, here, come get your snack. And he's like, I don't like that cookie. And then it became a cookie. He wasn't doing that. He's like, chores, you need to make up your bed. And he's like, ah, bed, hey. And then he's running, doing whatever he wants. Like he wasn't running around the house doing all these miracles where Mary would have just came to him and said, well, I know you can do whatever. Like, poof, there it goes. It wasn't like that. So you got that side of it. Like, this was his first miracle. But then on the other side, she did know who Jesus was. She knew from the time that she was told she was going to be pregnant whose baby she was carrying. She knew exactly who he was. So maybe she thought, like, hey, you, you've brought some disciples here. You kind of started gathering people. Like, maybe you're ready. Can you take care of this? Like, I, I don't know. She could have also, let's go back to the other side. She could have also just been going to him as the oldest son. Because most people believe that Joseph was dead. That's why he's not um, really talked about in Scripture here, that he had passed away. And so the responsibility of family business would have now fallen on Jesus. And so if something needed to be taken care of, she was trusting that her oldest son would take care of it. And Jesus responds. And then, you know, here we get stuck in his response. Uh, it's not, this isn't our business. My time has not yet come. Now, John's gospel, Jesus talks about his hour, his time coming um, more than any other gospel. And so you think, man, does, does he reference that as like, my time has not yet come? Is, is he reminding Mary, like, I know you're my mom and I love you, but my timetable is set by my heavenly father and I'm just going to walk it out with him? Or was he just simply reminding her once again, like, it's not our time to provide this. It's not our responsibility. I, I don't know what you want me to do. E either way, at the end of, of this, and today I'll probably land more on like she maybe expected a miracle. Because his response was like, probably not. Probably not. Like, I don't know what this has to do with us. My time isn't, the time's not ready, ready for anything to happen. But this is how Mary responds to Jesus is probably not. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, it held, <coughs> excuse me, holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. 
Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. Mary's response just showed that she trusted Jesus. It started with trusting him enough to just get him involved. Here's the situation that's going on. But I want you to notice this. Her trust in him was so great that she didn't have to encourage him on how to fix the problem. She just simply said, whatever he says, does, do. And that, I'm glad you didn't take a picture of that face right there. And that, in that one phrase, Mary gives us something that should ring true for us today. That we should trust Jesus so much that it should result in us doing whatever he says. Yeah, get ready. You amen to me now. See, we, we, we say that. Let me put it to you in one word. It's obedience. And you're like, I got that. God says it. PK, I'm in it. I'll do it. Cool. I, I'll give you that. I'll give you that for the moment. I want you to see, though, in this story what it really looks like. Because obedience seems to be growing out of this trust. Now, we'll step away from that. Let, let me tell you how it works for me. And maybe for you. Sometimes... When we bring Jesus our problem, not only do we bring Jesus our problem, but we let him know, just in case he needs some help, this is how you can fix these problems. We say things like, Jesus, if I were in charge, this is what I would do. I need this. You can do this. Sometimes we even go a step further. We don't just pray like, maybe do some things. We tell God, you know what, if you do it the way that I came up with, then I'll know it's you. Mary showed us that trust and obedience looks like just giving God the what's going on and trusting him with the details of how it's going to be fixed. Now we say amen, but we struggle here. We struggle because logically when we think about this, like obedience comes from me understanding the plan, right? Some of you have kids that like they don't want to do anything until they understand the three things that you told them to do. And sometimes it's just go do these things. You know, we, we want to bring God our problem or, or bring God our choices and like, all right, God, show me what to do. And he's like, all right, here's step A. And we're like, yeah, but what about step seven? Give me the next ones, because if you give me those, then God, I'll understand your will. I'll understand your way. I'll be quick to respond and quick to obey. Give me all of it. I'm good. And I'll, I'll, I'll be in it with you. Like when he gives us this understanding, it does help. But it's not a prerequisite to obedience. Our obedience doesn't have to come after an explanation. Obedience comes from trust. In the story, the servants... Look at the servants. They didn't need to know anything. They just trusted who was giving them the instructions. I mean, think, think about that. You know, as I was looking at this over and over, I, I, I wonder if their ability to respond to what Jesus was saying is because they didn't have to perform the outcome. It wasn't on them. All they had to do was their part. All they had to do was what they were being asked. The result on the other side was up to someone's, someone else. And I think that if we get that part, it will help us with our obedience. And as they obeyed, 
their obedience led to an experience of what God could do. We fast forward to the story. He changes the water into wine. Because they obeyed, they got to experience this. And I wonder, I wonder this morning if there are gaps in what we are experiencing from God because there are gaps in our obedience to God. I wonder if we got bogged down with what God said didn't make sense to us. Or we feel like we shouldn't have to do that anymore. Because what does Jesus tell them? I, I read it fast. He said there are six ceremonial jars, each holding between 20 and 30 gallons of water. Some of us struggle carrying two gallons of milk in each hand. 20 to 30 gallons per jar. And when Jesus said that, it wasn't like they could have just went to the sink in the kitchen and sprayed it into the jars. Or they could have went outside and hooked up the hose and poured it into. No, there were wells in Jesus' day. Someone had to carry the jars to the well, fill it. Notice it wasn't fill it halfway. They filled it all the way to the top, which means the trip back took longer than the trip there. We don't want to spill it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go quick. Nope, not quick. Slow, slow. Like they were moving even slower coming back. This was hard work. And some of us, if we were the servants, the story may have ended differently. What jars? Those? I don't think Jesus has carried this before. Do you really, you need all six of these jars. What, do you, what am I supposed to do with these? Water. This dude knows it's a party, right? He's going to give these people water. He ain't going to be no party anymore. Like, we would complain. We would offer up alternatives. This really isn't the best route for this. This isn't as efficient with my time and my talent. This isn't really what I should be doing right now. We would definitely have been causing problems in this moment because at times we want the work of God without the work God gives us to do. So I'm going to tell you this morning, keep filling jars. It may not make a lot of sense. Keep filling jars. Jars. You may be looking at it and you're like, no, you don't understand how hard this is for me. Keep filling the jars. You might be thinking, this is a waste of who I am, the calling of my life. This is so mundane. This isn't life. This isn't giving me passion. This is just making it just horrible for me. Keep filling jars. Maybe how much you are willing to fill determines how far the miracle will go. So keep filling jars. So they bring the water back. The master of the banquet tasted the water that it turned into wine. He didn't realize where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he calls the bridegroom aside and says, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests had had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It wasn't just a miracle. This was something supernatural that pointed to a truth that we need to know. This was the first of his signs. And as he performs this, what's incredible here is that God wants to involve us. As we look at this story, I mean, think about this. 
For Jesus' first miracle, he could have did whatever he wanted. He could have just said, those jars right there, carry them out. And by the time they walked up there, they could have been filled with wine. He could have just said, go back and check the wineskins. And when they go back to check what was empty wineskins, now they were full. And every time they poured it out, it just got full again. And they poured it out and it got full again. He could have did anything that he wanted. He could have did it in a number of different ways. But we see right here in this moment that for some reason as he's doing these miraculous things, the things that point at who he is, he wants to involve us. He brings us in. And I think that he does it to help us to depend on him, to rely on him. Look at what happens, they, they, that we can begin to believe that what just happened can happen again. That now my faith in God, because I was, I didn't just witness this, I got to experience it. I had a hand in this. I got to be involved in it. It's the kind of experience that should make us turn around and be like, God, what's next? What do I get to do now? What way can I jump out and, and show you my faith once again? Because what you did back there wasn't enough. I want to be a part of it again and again and again. I want it to grow who I am. You see, God and Jesus in this story, he makes it personal. He gets right down to it. And I can tell you that because of the end of the story. Jesus didn't do this miracle so that he could be known publicly. A after they taste the wine, he didn't stop the party and say, I just would like you to know that I did that. That everyone in here, like you're enjoying something that I, he didn't stop so that everyone could know who he was. He didn't claim responsibility so that people could cheer him. He didn't go public with who he is and who he was for fame, he got personal for the disciples' faith. He made it all about them. He did it so that he could be known not to the masses, but to those five guys that he brought there with him. So that the servants who were just being obedient could experience what the power of God was like. But PK, you said earlier that it wasn't his time. Even with that, as Jesus began to unfold the Father's timetable, how he does this miracle shows his disciples just who he is. And you might be wondering, like, how, how does he show them that he's the Son of God? How did he show them that he was the Messiah by taking water and making it wine? I'm glad you asked. Because in those moments, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy from Joel and Amos and Isaiah that said that when the Messiah would come, there would be joy and wine overflowing in people's lives, in the nation, all over. And Jesus, when he showed up in this miracle moment, he made so much wine that they would have wine and then some. And in the Old Testament, wine was always the symbol for joy. When the Messiah shows up, we're going to have more than enough. It's going to overflow. These guys would have known those scriptures. He personally let them know who he was. And even though this miracle touched tons of people around, I don't know how many people were at the wedding, but all of them got to experience it. He did it for the five he brought with him. 
He did it so that they can understand more of who he was. He did it because they mattered. He wanted to do something that would grow their faith in who he was. This miraculous sign did just that. It showed them that he sees them and knows them. And he wants to do things miraculous, not just so the world can see, so that you can see. And what he does in your life that's miraculous, other people are going to experience that. But you can't get past the fact that it's for you, Nathan. It's, it's for you. That what he did in your family, that, man, that was for you. So that as you look around, your faith could grow and, and what you believe God could do. That impossible would become a word that we would no longer use because God is involved. And then let's not forget that Jesus provided much more wine than was needed. And this, to me, goes back to the fact that God is always in and then some God. He has what we need and then some. He gives us what we need and more to remind us that he is the source that will never run out. So today when you ask him for what you need, he's got you covered and then some. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up and you pray and you invite him in and you say, God, this is what I need today. He's like, cool, I got that and more. And then the next day after that when you say, God, I need you to be my source. He hasn't run out. He's like, you know what, I got you today and then some because there is more. There is always still more. God has more for you. There is more ahead of you. There is more that God wants to accomplish in you. There is more that God wants to accomplish through you. There's more. There's more time to praise. There are more battles to come. There are more victories to come. There are more miracles to experience, more power that we've yet to see. There's more of his presence that we can experience. There are more miracles, more stories, more steps, because with God there is always more. And not only is there more, but when we experience what God has for us, we should be looking at that and saying, God, you have saved the best until now. That's what the, the, the master of ceremony says. He tasted the wine. This is the very best I've ever tasted. So not only does God have a more for you, but there will be a point when you experience that more. And you'll be like, man, this is the very best. God, I thought that you topped yourself way back here. But right now, this is the best it could ever be. And guess what? Next week, God has something that's going to make you say, this is the very best that God could have ever given me. And the next day, and the next day, he's still giving his best even now. And I know some of you came in here today and you feel like those jars that are empty. Your life feels empty. Your energy feels empty. When you look around, your family seems broken and empty. Your marriage is, is teetering on crumbling. It doesn't look like there's hope. When you pray about it, it seems like they hit the ceiling and drop back down. All of these things, your patience is low. Everything seems like it's falling away, that it's empty. You this morning, don't give up. Keep listening, keep following his instruction, keep being obedient. As we do that, we will discover that God's not just going to restore what has felt empty, but he is going to give more and better than we thought. He wants to give us more. Those jars were filled to the brim, to capacity. That's what he wants to do in your life. He came to give you life to the full. So don't settle for half of what God wants to give in your life. Look to him to feel all of it. He 
close your eyes with me for just a moment? What have you been trying to fill your life with? It wasn't by accident that these ceremonial jars were what Jesus used for this miracle. Those jars would have been used so the people's hands were clean before they got to eat meals. It was a symbol of them like washing away the dirt, the sin of their lives. It wasn't by mistake that Jesus used these, showing that there was gonna be a whole new way of cleansing and he was gonna be responsible for that. You see, oftentimes we try to fill our lives with, with things that the world offers us. We try to, to get hope and love and joy and, and satisfaction and completion from, from things and people and places that were never supposed to fill us. And these things sometimes make us feel like they're filling us, but then ultimately we are left empty. And this morning, if that's you today, if you came in here feeling empty, Jesus wants to fill your life to the full today. See, he came because he loves you. He came because we couldn't satisfy the debt that we had created with sin, but he could. So he offered his life in exchange for ours as he pays the price for our sins. And when he rose from the grave, he proved that there was nothing that he couldn't do, that he could bring life from death, that he could restore, he could do everything that he said. So today, if, if that's you, say, Pastor Kevin, man, I, I need Jesus. I need the life that he offers. I need to be filled by him. If, if you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me and say, that's me today, PK, I need Jesus. Is there anyone in the room and say, Jesus, today I need you. Awesome. Would you stand with me, everybody in the room? Because as we get towards the end of this part where I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to remind you that we're going to pray for miracles. And those of you that are going to come and pray with people, if you can make your way down now, that would be great. Because we're going to believe that God does the impossible. Doesn't matter what you've been told, doesn't matter your experience, God still does miracles. So for some of you, it may just be the miracle of filling your heart once again with hope. With what you believe God can do, what you believe God can offer. Because you've been walking around half full. I would challenge you today to invite him in to every piece. You're praying for miracles, but maybe you need to remind yourself that he's the source for everything. might be some of you that you need to respond to the obedience portion. That maybe today you, you don't necessarily need a miracle. But maybe as you look back, you've seen gaps in your experience with God because there were gaps in your obedience to God. And you just want to come and acknowledge that, God, I need you. I, I want to give you everything. I'm going to respond and do what you asked me to do want more of you. There are a lot of things. What has God been speaking to you that you need to respond to this morning? Take some time. We're creating time and space. Come find someone here in these altar areas to pray with. 
because we believe that God is still doing miracles today. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.